Hello and welcome to the Books to the Boardroom podcast. The podcast where we talk to CEOs, CFOs and executives about their career journey from an accounting or finance background through to leadership positions. We explore the challenges, the triumphs and the sequence of events that made them the leaders they are today. My name is Sumit Desanayake. I'll be your co-host. This podcast is proudly brought to you by my company Briska. Briska is a CA force outsourcing partner. We take care of a company's transactional finance functions and allow CA force to focus on the strategic, enjoyable part of their job. Show notes can be found at briska.com.au forward slash podcast and clicking on the relevant episode link. Thanks for listening. Hello and thanks for joining us. Today we are speaking to Chris Lawrence, Group CFO of Hopgood Ganem Lawyers. What a story. This podcast was a lot of fun. Chris has had a varied career. He talks about working at companies such as Woolworths, Donut Time and his current company Hopgood Ganem. We talk about good and bad leadership. Chris points out he has learned a lot from poor leaders as well as great leaders. When Chris first decided to become a CFO, he talks about the struggle of moving from Sydney market to the Brisbane market. I'm sure a lot of professionals can relate. A well-rounded individual, Chris also discusses his philanthropic work and his experience authoring a book. You are going to love this episode. Nathan Smith is the co-host. Here he is now. Well, today on Books of the Boardroom, we're delighted to have an author, a military historian, a company director, a CFO, but most importantly, an accountant. Chris Lowndes, uh, welcome to Books of the Boardroom. Great to be here. Thank you. Um, before we get started, there's something very important to say about today. I don't know if you realize this, but on our date of recording, it is actually International Podcast Day. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> we, we better make sure this works well then. <laughs> this is definitely one to celebrate. Um, first of all, would you mind telling us just a little bit about yourself and what, what you're currently doing? Yeah, so um, I'm a chartered accountant um, and uh, have been for, for some time now. I'm one of the one of the older older crew. Um, so what I'm doing now is I'm group uh, chief financial officer at a law firm in the city called Hopgood Ganham. So I've been there for probably just over three and a half years now. Um, it's all going going very well. They keep me very busy and um, the, uh, the partners in there uh, keep me on my toes so as I think I, I mentioned earlier um, one of those things you need to make sure you know your stuff they're trained to pull apart an, an argument pretty 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 well <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well I'm really excited to hear a bit more about that but first why don't you take us back uh, to the very beginning where it mm. all began before accounting before the degree um, yeah. how did it all start yeah it's a bit of a mixed bag before I uh, chose uh, an accounting career, um, like a lot of uh, like a lot of my colleagues when I was at school, um, I really didn't have too much um, of an understanding of what I really wanted to do as a career. Um, you know, I relied on others to give me some some advice, but you know, when I came to filling in the QTAC form as it was at that time, um, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew that accounting, I was good at accounting. I was good at as good at economics as well. And someone had said, you know, getting into business was a was an interesting interesting way to, to go. So I, I chose a, a business course and and went from there. So I did um, a bachelor of commerce, as as you do, I guess, when you can can get into a commerce degree with your with your 
um, T score as it was in those days. Um, so yeah, I went and did my uh, commerce degree at Griffith Uni. And uh, the interesting thing about that was I think it was only the third year of uh, the commerce degree at Griffith Uni at the time. Oh, wow. So there's only two, two, um, two years that had uh, had qualified or, or finished. No one would have long. graduated from it. <laughs> well, I think it was the last. So they had two two graduating years before mine. Oh, right. So mine was the third graduating year, but it was still still early days. And they certainly Griffith Uni didn't have really strong relationships with chartered accounting firms at that at that stage. So there was only two of us from the graduating year that got offers. At a chartered accounting firm, and fortunately, I was one of the one of the two. So. Congratulations! <laughs> thank you. It's it's, a, it's been a long time overdue, actually. <laughs> Thirty years, thanks, Nick. <laughs> so yeah, so I um yeah, so I went to uh, Griffith Uni and did the uh, the commerce degree and and managed to get myself into the audit department of uh, Price Waterhouse. So got my tie in the mail and I, I knew it was I knew I was successful because you could feel the tie in the envelope when it came in the <laughs> mail and um, very exciting. Yeah, so I started there in audit, which was a you know, looking back on it, it was a, a fantastic area of the firm to start in because of the um, the experience that you get within an audit team, you know, all the different clients that you work on and um, and because it's Brisbane, the clients that you're working on are tend to be a little bit smaller. So instead of like our colleagues down in New South Wales or Victoria going out and working on the, you know, the Westpac client and doing one particular area of, of the Westpac audit for six months, mm-hmm. you know, I would have done mm-hmm. about, you know, 20 different audits in that time mm-hmm. and uh, on some of them been one of the lead lead auditors at the at the time dealing directly with the client, understanding their business and, you know, going from abattoirs to I think one of the things I mentioned to Sumit earlier was that... Um, I had the uh, I had the pleasure of being the hospitality and, and retail expert, um, or at least graduate anyway, when I first came on board. So I had the opportunity to get down the Gold Coast and do the Hyatt Century Cove <laughs> and the Marriott Resort and the Travel Lodge, and um, you know to, to mix it up. So whenever a, a job like that came up, I was the one that had the experience <laughs> on. So I would I would have to do the hard yards and and do some of those large large resorts on the Gold Coast as an auditor. <laughs> So, yeah, it's a compliment that you normally get when you work um, in an audit firm. Like, not everyone gets it. It's only, a, you know, a lucky ones get that opportunity to go and um, enjoy the audit while you are having some kind of, a, you know, fun as well. Yeah, well, the, the downside is that... Um, Normally, the accounting department was in the basement of the the building, so you'd get up in the morning, <laughs> see the surf, and then go down to the basement for the next twelve hours. So it was a downside. Yes. <laughs> and you spent quite a bit of time there, uh, six years, I think. Yeah, but Price Waterhouse, I, I did. Um, in fact, um, it was probably it was, when I think of my time at Price Waterhouse, it was really two two segments or two different roles. The first one was in the audit department, so I did what most. Most uh, graduates um, who started a chartered accounting firm that go and get their their uh, chartered qualifications. So I was able to do that and get through my PY. Um, but instead of going over to uh, the UK or the US as part of my 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 graduation from from P, from PY and moving on to other other things, I decided to stay at Price Waterhouse and transfer into their consulting world. I'd heard a lot about consulting. I had a couple of mates that were doing consulting work. And it just sounded great. And with the experience that I had with dealing with multiple different com- companies and businesses and, you know, getting to know some of the some of the senior leaders within those businesses, it just sounded like a great opportunity. So mm. Brisbane was a pretty small place for consulting in those days. So to make the most out of that and to stay with Price Waterhouse, I transferred. So I didn't take a, a year off and travel the world <laughs> and come back to 
to try and find a job. I actually stayed in work and transferred down to um, Pricewaterhouse Urwick, as it was in those days, to be a mm. junior management consultant. Um, so I, I finished up. I got married as well in the in the meantime. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> that was... It was just a little bit less than 30 years. So <laughs> you're getting better. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I travelled down to Sydney with my wife. We were both, um, we were both able to transfer with our work and started um, the second stint at Pricewaterhouse in consulting um, and managed to, to spend almost four, almost five years there. And, um, and the really good thing with consulting is one of the things I've always said to any of the guys in my team is when you have an opportunity to travel overseas – with a company or the firm that you work for, grab it with two hands. Um, my wife and I were able to go over to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and then ended up spending a year on secondment in their office, Kuala Lumpur Pricewaterhouse Urwick office, and um, it was fantastic. Um, really embraced the culture, and um, but more so from a work perspective, you know, just understanding the business environment there and, and having some pretty responsible tasks to do, setting up a new change management team there in the office and you know, liaison with clients and dealing directly with the partners there in that firm and trying to get change management team up to up to, up to up to speed and and off the ground in a very short space of time it was a very rewarding rewarding job. Yeah. yeah. So I love the way that uh, you uh, sort of mentioned about that overseas experience, like mm. you said, the embrace the culture. Yeah. Wherever you go. So can you please uh, let us know more about that, like if you can. Yeah, well, I, I actually had, you know, if we had a pushed pretty hard, my wife and I could probably have, have, have swung a job over in the UK or in the US, but, you know, there was a real opportunity really for my wife to go to KL and we decided to, to take that. We both travelled a little bit anyway, so to go to KL was a bit of a different experience. But, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the expats and secondment um, staff that go to, the, to, to KL anyway, they just stick together. <laughs> you know, so the expats yeah. go out, and you get to know the expats pretty well. Yeah, but you don't get to know really the the staff and the the, the locals. locals. So, yeah. I wanted to. Well, I still got to know the expats and got on very well with them. I really focused on getting to know some of the locals too, some of the Indians and the the Chinese guys, particularly in my team. So, you know, joined the local basketball team with them all and saw them on the weekend. But it's a really good way to open yourself up to a bit of culture, too, and understand what drives them and what's important yeah, to them. That's great. Um, so it was, it was a really enriching time. So technically, absolutely, but also just understanding another culture and another way of doing things. And, uh, you know, got lots of great relationships and friendships which have lasted for some time. How did your basketball team do? <laughs> uh, from memory, I don't think I was one of their better, <laughs> better, better team members. And we may not have made, reached the final in that time. So, But it was just another opportunity to see them in their own environment, you know. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was good. Um, and all good things come to an end. Uh, yeah. What was your decision around your, your next career move? Yeah, it, um, interestingly enough, when I returned to um, Sydney office, um, it was a little bit disappointing, to be honest, because I got back there and the partner that had sent me over to KL and, and uh, we had agreed on what I would be doing and the, the objectives had changed. She'd, she'd moved on somewhere else and uh, I'd sort of come back with this this amazing you know career career journey and I'd set up teams and set up a department and I was ready to you know, this is what I've done and it I really didn't get much recognition for it possibly because it was the KL office and and not somewhere mm. in, in, a, in a better um, more sophisticated environment <laughs> I don't know but um, it was a little bit dismissed and I thought mm. gee I've done done all this fantastic work and you know it, it's really work that's probably something that someone more senior would have done mm. 
but I've got all these great mm. relationships and I've worked on all these great clients and I've got all this experience now that I've brought back and yeah, I just I didn't get the sort of response that I, I wanted to get. Sure. So probably hung around for another couple of months and then decided, you know, maybe get out of the the um you know, the the, the professional services area and, and get into the corporate world, which is which is what I did. So And how did you uh find and land yeah, exposition after that. Yeah, pretty pretty well actually. I um, you know, at that stage I hadn't really done accounting work for some time. It was probably four or five years. So you know, while I was still a chartered accountant and knew my way around, but you know, I hadn't really been doing accounting work. It'd been more business consulting work, still financial and management consulting, but that were my skills. So change management skills and communications. You know, getting a message across, um, leading projects. Um, managing teams, liaising with clients, presenting deliverables—they're all the sorts of skills that I that I had. So I went from there to Woolworths head office. So not 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 packing on the, on the front counter. He had that question ready to go. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he's going, come up there. So yeah, I worked at head office in there. They had a new a new team that they set up. So there was two of us that they brought in from um, chartered accounting and uh, the professional services were, and they were setting up a business audit team. And the, the good thing about that was, you know, we weren't going out to stores doing audits of stores. We were actually auditing, you know, their, their, their different businesses and different divisions. And the objective was to get some, some qualified staff in that had the capacity to possibly move into senior roles within different divisions within Woolworths. So that was the aim. And, you know, I, I, saw, I saw most areas of Woolworths, whether it be, you know, I remember going to uh, Outback Queensland with the national livestock buyer and, and seeing how he, he bought sheep and, and cattle, you know, going out to the markets and, and seeing how they, they bought their fruit and vegetables, how they how they assess, you know, what's the what's the Woolworth banana look like? <laughs> you know, but really getting to know the business, which was the objective. You know, at that time they were they just bought Dan Murphy, so I spent a bit of time on that acquisition and understanding and bringing that business in. Um, and they were also opening up Petrol Plus at the time. So I was there at a really interesting time with the organisation expanding, and I was able to to work on some of those big, big national assignments and and prepare reports that were giving recommendations, you know, internal control improvements and things that would would hopefully add some value back to the um, each of the relevant divisions, which was which was great. And so you've listed out like a number of really different challenges that you've you've had set before yourself, and obviously you've done very well with across leadership and and all those other different parts that you, that you mentioned. Were these very strategic choices for you in terms of growing your, yourself professionally and growing your career, or were these happy, happy, desire, uh, happy mistakes? <laughs> no, they, well, they, they were actually particularly down in Sydney. Um, you know, the skills when you come out of a chartered accounting environment, and particularly if you've if you've if you've got your your qualifications and you've got some management consulting work under your belt, particularly overseas management consulting work. You know, I had a pretty good resume, and I was still pretty young. You know, I don't even think I was. I wasn't 30 at that stage, so still pretty young in my career. But I knew that I didn't, I didn't actually want to be a financial controller at that stage. I actually enjoyed the management consulting and the, the variety that comes with consulting work. So I got that through Woolworths. I left Woolworths after about two and a half years just because there wasn't the opportunities that I was hoping for from the program. In fact, both the, both myself and the other starter left at about the same time because right. there wasn't an opportunity there. But the next step was very much very much planned there was a great opportunity came up and that's why I left Woolworths to join NCR the US multinational and um, and they wanted me for not for my accounting skills but for those change management project skills which I had 
they were um, they were effectively setting up a an Asia Pacific shared service centre in Sydney, and they wanted someone to go out throughout the region, Asia Pac, and effectively um, bring in accounting services, processes, and systems mm. into the shared service centre. So another another fantastic mm. job. I had been travelling quite a bit over you know a year and a half to two years, and uh, I was able to bring that back in and on a normal consulting job, you probably finish there and wave goodbye to your client, and move on to something else. Uh, once I'd done that, my uh, boss at the time said, "Okay, now you brought it in. You can manage what you <laughs> brought in." So I stayed there for about a year and a half to two years and um, and managed the uh, the shared service. And it was it was a challenging role because I was effectively telling a lot of people throughout Asia Pacific that they didn't have a job anymore, yeah. and we didn't have a, a role for them all. But equally, I was able to offer and bring a number of staff from overseas and get them into the Sydney office and offer them a a career, an extended career in in Sydney. So that was a, was a good job. Lots of learning from that as well. But all, you know, those softer skills, I think they call yeah. it, from a yeah. CFO perspective, which um, which really held me in good stead for, you know, for the for the next next steps as well. You're definitely entrenched in the the leadership part of your career. Um, and we mentioned that a lot of this time hasn't actually been spent accounting. Um, yeah, it's wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Would, would you have consi- when you were. 100% on the tools as an accountant, would you have considered yourself a technical accountant or was it a people person sort of um, approach all the way through? Um, I, I, I do like managing teams and it's, it's something I'm sure we'll, we'll get to. Um, the, the people side of my job, I quite enjoy and I, I think I'm, I'm reasonably good at that, um, bringing people through, particularly mentoring staff. I've got a pretty good track record now of um, you know, having my 2IC and, and others within my team, senior members of the team, go on to bigger and better things, which is always a nice thing to do, mm-hmm. be able to sit back and think, oh, yeah, such and such, yeah, where is he now? Okay, he's, he's now in the CFO role at taking my job when I <laughs> left, you know. So I can do that over a couple of different different jobs, which is great, and seeing people develop yeah, you know, and really step up and be able to step back and say, okay, well, now you, you do that yourself. You, you take off. So that's that's been that's been really good. But, I think you it's know, the, technical. Yeah, it's the fulfillment for a you know senior leader. Like you know, when you see your um, you know your subordinates are sort of coming through the journey, and then they are occupying our positions at some point, that's really you know giving you the fulfillment. Like you've done that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not the, you know the senior leaders or the senior accountants' role is not only to you know to prepare the financial statements and you know that take care of that part of the business, but also to sort of grow up their team. Yeah. Yeah. In in some respects, that's the easy stuff, yeah. and um, I think we talked about it a little bit earlier. You know, I I've learned a lot from advisors too. Yeah. You know, and w- you know whether it be at audit time or on a large acquisition or um, or capital raising. You know, I, I've learned a lot from the lawyers and the accountants that have been with me. You know, and I've taken that knowledge and been able to apply it to the next thing that that goes on. So, you know, technically, I'm a chartered accountant. Yeah. Um, but you know, you've got people. You've got good people, whether internally. Or externally, mm. that can help you on the technical side. You know what, yeah. what you've got to learn and understand is how to manage people and get yeah. the most out of people. Mm. And that's not a that's not an easy skill to to develop and to and to, to pick up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and I know you've got some thoughts on on good leadership and, and perhaps bad leadership as well oh, yeah. that you shared with us. <laughs> <laughs> I won't mention any names. <laughs> I know these podcasts get out a bit, don't they? <laughs> Yeah, so oh, but it's it's true. You know, some of my greatest learnings have have uh, not only been from some wonderful leaders that I've worked for and supported in CEO roles, but um, also some pretty ordinary managers that I've seen. You know, operate and and have, I remember thinking, oh, that's just not the way to 
to to do that you know there's got to be a better way and um and learning from some of the bad things i've seen too learning not to do it that way um but yeah i've um but on the positive side i've, I've learned a lot from really good leaders you know people that really knew what they're doing and good people leaders too you know people leaders that could get the most out of them i could just see it i could see the way that they could drive a team mm-hmm. get a team working well together to achieve a result and keep people accountable and you know and just engage senior people that just took the time to engage with people at all different levels of the business and you'd see when he'd leave the room you'd see the their eyes light up mm. or you know you'd see them just there was a respect there and an acknowledgement that he'd given them the, the time of day and got and took the time to get to know them how do you absorb those lessons from good leaders well, what you do is you well for me you just try and emulate mm. and try and do it as well you know and try and, and just see how it goes just try and bring your own personality to it but um just use it and and t- get the most out of your learning you know and they're, they're great great learning opportunities and it, it works too so imitate good behavior yeah pretty much yeah mm. yeah in the right context yeah, through yeah where you can it's it's yeah. about owning the situation as well like you know instead of taking that uh, you know sometimes there's experience for you at that time it's bad like you feel it, like your perception is like it's a bad experience yeah. but you when you're trying to use it it's going to be a massive um, plus that's right yeah so it's a, it's all about that uh, perception thing yeah yeah and sometimes at the time you don't understand yeah. why, why would you why, do that why would <laughs> so, you spend the time you know being transparent with the whole of the, the whole of the organisation <laughs> you know, why would you want to tell them what yeah. the profit was throughout the organisation that's just that's easy just asking for trouble <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well you know and but then you understand and there's probably a lot more that, that I didn't understand at the time there were, there were very re- good reasons why you know that, that particular leader needed to do that and once you understand that and you can uncover and, and also what it, what it led to and what we're able to achieve because he did something in a certain way, um, you know, I guess you also got to know that you don't know everything as well. Yeah. You know, they're leaders and they're in a position that they've got a lot more of an understanding of the organisation. And if you're in a particular team or an area, you understand that area yeah. well, but sometimes it's hard to really get the big picture mm. beyond yeah. things, which is something I try and get uh, to my team will always hear me talk about the big picture. You know, if you can, if you can ensure your team understand a little bit more than just the task or the assignment that you've been given them, then they've got the ability to do so much more with that task yeah. and actually do it possibly a little bit better because they know what you're trying to achieve. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Um, looking at your career from from the point we got to, uh, yeah. there's definitely a trend from from here on out, and that's oh, I changed, three, changed CFO. very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> what what changed your mind? What what made you make that decision that it was time to be a CFO? Yeah, well, it um, that decision was actually made for me. Um, I came back to Brisbane and uh, going out of the Sydney job market into the Brisbane job market and looking for a senior role is a very different story, particularly if the time that you're going up there is when people are coming back into the market mm. or things have changed and there's people migrating up to Brisbane. So it was a, it was a pretty challenging market. And fortunately, um, I had a mate working at a, at a, at a company called Provet um, and he said, um, look, I'm, I'm ready to move on. I think you'd be a good CFO. Did you want to put your hat in the ring? I said, hey, <laughs> CFO, uh, it's not something I've done before. Yeah. He said, oh, I think you'd be all right. And um, and went along to the interview, and uh, again, you know, what I look for is the is the connection I have with the people that I'm going to be working with, and the direction, and you know, how the supportive, and that there's just there's an element that you always get a sense for when you go for interviews, and I saw that in spades there, and I continued through the interview process and um, managed to get the CFO, CFO gig, but it was CFO and company secretary as well, and I I never 
I never I never disregard that company secretary component because you know you, it's a it's a it's a pretty accountable responsible yeah. role in itself so bring the two together and you haven't done either before <laughs> it's a it's a mighty big role to get yeah. your head around yeah so, I bet. so yeah and it was a you know private at the time I think it was about a 40 million dollar business and um it was a it was a fantastic role for a new a new CFO because it, it led me across all the, I, I pretty much did everything at the end of the private my career at private which was about nine years and I pretty much ticked all the boxes on the things that a CFO would probably mm-hmm. want to get get involved in you know I think we did about nine or ten acquisitions um, and we do lots of capital raising um, um, we I, I was with the firm when uh, with the company when they bought on private equity. So I got a good understanding of private equity, you know, one one of private equity, what they what they what they can do, and what they'll they'll push you on. Um, and I was with the company when we listed, you know, and being with wow. the the, in, in, the the engine of the the place as well, all the board meetings and seeing what's going, seeing how good decisions are made, um, you know, the input that private equity can bring to a firm, particularly a, a, a company that still hasn't hasn't got the experience in doing that. Um, yeah, took them to listing. I was a listed CFO and company secretary for a while, which was a was a crazy crazy ride. Lots of learning mm. ahead of <laughs> ahead of what's going on. Yeah. Most of the directors were veterinarians themselves, so they were still learning themselves. So it was a mm. it was a case of make sure that we understand and lots of discussions with lawyers. I got to know my lawyers very well <laughs> uh, and my advisors. You know, I was I was really relying on them to to give us a hand, and the directors were too, in in how to navigate through this journey. So you know, listed. Then delisted and were bought out by a US multinational and got the firm up oh, wow. to up to speed on the SOX regulations. Said that's enough. Yeah. Well, yeah <laughs> so, right. And then I finished at that point. But it was the whole cycle. So, you know, for someone it was the first CFO role. Nine years later, um, it was a it was close to three hundred million by the time I finished finished wow. with that that particular company. And uh, and again, lots of lots of good friends and lots of things I learnt from from that job. And then I've just been a CFO from from then on. Um, I would like to ask specifically about donut time. Um, donut time. I, I think I think because Sumit uh, famously was an eagle boy. Um, <laughs> that's right. Was was eagle boy? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you, you you both have this shared financial experience with delicious foodstuffs, and um, is it as incredible as it sounds working? In such a magical place. So, in a very short word, <laughs> we, we did get free donuts. So, but um, the donuts are so rich. You know, mm. I, I remember to this day. I remember talking to the CEO at the time, and probably most people probably know that CEO's name and the mm-hmm. the founding founding director. And I, that was he was the guy that I, I came in to work for and support. But there's a bit of a story behind that as well, as you could imagine. But um, I remember clearly one day saying, "The filling that we've got in these donuts." <laughs> X is um, is just over the top. You know, if, if we took out half the filling, you know, our margins would go up significantly. You know, because I, I remember going to the South Bank store and I yeah. saw I saw our customers squeezing the filling out. This can't be good. And it was it was like telling him that the world was coming to an end. You can't do that, Chris. They've got to have the filling in. It's got to be yeah. over the top because that's that's the whole thing about these donuts. And I realised, okay, that's why you're in branding yeah. and marketing, and I'm in the accounting world. I've raised it. We've talked about it. Um, but there were some serious issues with that with that business that um, you know that, that started to come to the surface. But when I first started there, gee, it was private equity were involved. They had 25 stores throughout Australia. Real all stores were going pretty well. It was it was the it was the flavour of the month, you know, lots of branding and mm. 
and uh, advertising and marketing campaigns going on. There was a real young vibe to the to the firm. Private equity were were putting money into the business, and it was all it was all it was all happy day. And lots of lots to do, and lots to lots of yeah. you know lots of lots of improvement still to be had. Um, but it went downhill very quickly once private equity moved out, and they moved out in a hurry because they understood the risks that were starting to form around the business. And as soon as that happened, uh, the writing was on the wall. And uh, yeah, I stayed with them for as long as I could until I just knew that I couldn't continue working in that environment. And some of the decisions that that my boss was making, I just couldn't couldn't support him on. Yeah. Yeah, you know, right. and and talking to him about insolvency and you know insolvent yeah, trading and that's mate, tough. You have to get our heads around this one because <laughs> I think we're we're heading down that track very quickly. Yeah, sort of. So it was only a short. I think it was five months all up, and I started going in there as a as a consultant to help him manage his private equity relationships and um yeah that soon changed to a full-time role and yeah so it was only it was a short sweet and yeah. um very sweet <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah but it was a it was short sweet and uh fast ride but again it's a learning experience you know i got a lot i learned a lot from working with mm, a particular sure. guy that had all the ideas under the sun yeah. um but uh we probably should have taken a little bit more advice from those around him yeah that's so true like you know it's so hard like you know if you are especially if you're coming from the corporate background where you got you know the whole um, board you know board of directors with variety of experience and you know it's a rich environment and then coming to a just a, a, a business dominated by an entrepreneur i myself yes. was in a position as well like it's so hard to manage because he's just taking de- making decisions on its own instead of uh, doing enough consultation before they make even some capital decision i would say like you know the the more strategic decisions sometimes you take over the phone so without consulting anyone i i can relate to your situation where you yeah. had that experience coming from probate and you know the pwc the consultancy and then yeah uh, trying to handle one particular person is yeah. probably more challenging than uh, going into a boardroom for a board a board meeting well, that's right and the, mm. the more you try to put boundaries and controls and governance yeah. around the more Yeah, pushback you know and, and yeah. private equity didn't have a bar of that so but yeah so it was a learning experience in itself mm. yeah yeah and chris i haven't been quite fair to you because um you've okay. you've got some very interesting uh philanthropical work that's that's been happening during that period of time would you mind sharing a little bit about that are you talking about e-waste connection yeah Or are you yeah. Talking, yeah so well Yeah, for probably the last three years. And it's just a side. My, my wife pretty much runs the, the social enterprise, but um, my, my son has um, um, an intellectual impairment. And, um, yeah, we set up a social enterprise to not only help him but also help other other parents that were in, a, in the same scenario. And, you know, the I guess the thing that we we um, started was um, – and the, the driver for it was uh, e-waste recycling. So we set up a very small – workshop um about three years ago and um it's just developed from there so yeah every every once in a while i'll go down there on a saturday and i'll, I'll run one of the saturday sessions and um but yeah it's 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 such a um it's uh you know people say giving is such a good thing to do this is uh this 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 returns in spades you know when you see you're helping helping kids with a disadvantage and, mm. and young adults with a disadvantage and seeing their development it's a it's a wonderful thing That's fantastic, Chris. Mm. And and you're doing that while 
you know, promoting sustainability and caring for the environment as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's well, incredible. It ticks all the boxes, yeah, you know. So uh, the politicians are, are very happy with, <laughs> very happy to come down and get some photos taken when they need <laughs> to. So we don't normally have too many issues with that. But, yeah, that's, and as I said, my wife pretty much runs that. But, you know, it's our, it's our shared vision and it's also, you know, something that's important to us mm. as a family with, uh, with my boy Josh. And I'll give you uh, another opportunity to, to oh, promote, plug? promote your work. Is this well, something that's available at all good bookstores? <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you tell is us? That, is it, uh, well, I think it is, but yeah. it's, it's a while ago. So I think most of the book, good bookstores have probably sold out or, or moved on. But yeah, I, I wrote a book back in 2010. So um, I'd probably say I'm an amateur, amateur military historian. I've always loved military history and lots of relatives um, in the past that have, uh, have fought in most of the you know world war one and world war two and um had a father that was very interested in it so um yeah from an early age i've always been interested in military history and you know a, a little bit of research and one page of notes then turned into a couple of pages and those pages <laughs> turned into oh i can see a chapter coming out of this yeah. and then without knowing it i'm, I'm pretty diligent if, I, if i'm focused on something um yeah it turned into a into a journey when you're passionate about things you know that can take over so you know, three, I think three or four years and uh, one or two trips over to uh, uh, the Gallipoli Peninsula and multiple trips down to the Australian War Memorial, all while uh, prioritising my CFO role. A um, lot of, lot of, of late nights and weekend stuff. And my wife says that she was a, um, a book widow for a period of time. <laughs> <laughs> Author, book widow, I don't know, I don't know what it is. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, was a, it was a great experience and uh, you know, to have a have a book that comes out of it i mm. think people say there are those people that desire to write a book uh that never do and then there are those that that do get to the end of the line and, and produce something it's a it's a wonderful feeling and you know to walk into dimmix i remember the first day i walked into dimmix and it was on the shelves and i um oh, wow. it was actually someone moved to the bottom shelf and i had to pick it up <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's a rewarding very rewarding thing to to have done Oh, that's brilliant. I mean, Simon and I spend enough of our spare time making podcasts, so yeah. I feel like we can relate a little bit to that. Yeah, yeah well, it's the same sort of thing. If you're passionate about it, mm. um, then you, and you get it's a, it's a rewarding experience. Okay, and, and back to back to your career. Um, mm. We found us find ourselves obviously where you're working today. Yeah. Um, I'm really interested to know um, what you feel the future might hold. What what's exciting about uh, what's to come? Yeah, well, I. I th- you know, I guess moving on to um, Hopgood Gannon, where I am now, um, as I said, I've been there for just three and a half years, so I'm, I'm really starting to feel that I understand how, how things work there and, you know, building relationships, which is always important coming in as a, as a, as a mm. senior a senior officer within, within any business, you know, getting to understand the drivers of the business, understanding what really, really pushes, sure. pushes the buttons there. Um, so I think I've, I've pretty much got my head around that. I've got a really good team with me. But, um, you know, I, I wanted some stability before going to Topgood Ganim, so it, it offered me it offered me that, and it offered me an, an environment also which I was I was pretty comfortable with. You know, it's a very good, very good culture at um, at Hopgood Ganim. You know, the um, you know the people I work with every day are fantastic, um, and they're they're all diligent. They love their job, and you know it's uh, it's refreshing to come into another business where people can say, you know, my my uh, two IC's been with the with uh, Hopgood Ganim now for probably 25, 26 years. A COO has been there for for over 30 years my boss the managing director has been there for 41 years so wow. you know there's some stability in the place and it's uh, it's it's going well we've got great clients and you know it's uh, but I, at the time i just wanted some 
I wanted some stability. I wanted to to, to get somewhere yeah. where I could, you know, put the mm. roots down and really get involved and and see some some longevity there. I'd had a couple of shorter starts before that. One with a with an IT company that I was with for about a year and a half to two years, um, and then um, my my fantastic sweet experience at, at donut <laughs> time. So I just wanted, to, hey, let's let's just settle down here and yeah, makes a lot of and sense. get back to things. So that's that's what I've got now. So you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy where I am. Fantastic, hmm. and. Um, I hope you can brace yourself because it's time for Amanda Campbell's Fast Five. <laughs> Amanda I don't, Campbell's Fast Five. <laughs> oh, we, we, stole, we stole it from the other co-host of this podcast. Yeah. Thank you very much, Amanda. We appreciate that very much. <laughs> I can give you some very fast answers. <laughs> Question number one. How do you start your day? Uh, slowly. I'm not, a, I'm not really a morning person, so that's probably the best way to answer that question. Start my day, lots of good coffees, um, um, and uh, a bit of a structured structured start. I like a bit of structure in the, in the morning, particularly to get, get things rolling. We appreciate that. This, this show tends to have a lot of uh, Iron Men and triathletes yeah. and all sorts, so if it, yeah. if it slower launches... I'm not one of them. Let me break the mould. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get up and go for a run in the morning. Yeah. What do you lack most? What do I lack most? Probably mm. uh, sleep. Um, <laughs> uh, time to time to reflect and time to think as well. Mm. You know, um, don't get a lot of that time. You know, I've got a busy, busy outside of work life and a busy work life too. But you know, just to have some time to think about mm. things and, and plan things, and you know, um, yeah, there's probably not enough time for that. How do you relax? How do I relax? Uh, that's a good point. Uh, so again, I mentioned that I don't do a lot of uh, um, running, or <laughs> so I don't find that relaxing at all. Actually, um, how do I relax? Uh, read. I do a lot of research. I'm always reading. I've always got a, a military history book that I'm reading. Um, so you know, I do that. But time with the family, obviously. Um, uh, so that that's what that's what I do. Um, you know. Um, uh, time with friends, restaurants, traveling. I love to travel. Uh, love to get out and see different things. So that's the sort of stuff that I do to to um, to relax. And what is your proudest professional achievement? My proudest professional achievement. Gee, these are these are hard questions. <laughs> hey, I didn't write them. She's just to write a new set of questions. <laughs> proudest professional. I think from what I said about um, my time at Provet, that's probably yeah what we did there and we, we still talk about it today you know I'll, mm. I'll get on the phone and speak to some of the directors of the day and we'll we'll reminisce about the the days and what we did and we're all proud of the the journey that we all went on so that's brilliant there. and uh what is the best piece of advice you've ever oh, received for goodness sake <laughs> yeah, it's that one yeah. best piece of advice um oh there's there's been a lot i don't think i could i could i could single out one um um, oh, but just to, I just I guess to keep it in context with what I've been saying there is um, you know when when managing your team give them the give them the bigger picture mm. you know um, it, that's that's, that's, a, that's probably a silly a silly response but it's something that that I have always kept in mind <laughs> something that I was told early yeah. on in the piece along with you know where we in this team Mr Lowndes it's not mm-hmm. an I so those sorts of things they stick with you yeah you know, those little yeah. those little comments and they mean a lot when you really implement them implement them properly you know mm. we're a team yep that's important and um you know lead your lead your people well give them the bigger picture so they can do things and excel themselves you know and and uh and and make it rewarding for them so 
guess pretty lame responses. <laughs> <laughs> That's Not what you're going to get in your, sh- your short five. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have any nuggets of wisdom that you'd like to leave with um, the up-and-coming accountants that are listening to you the podcast? You mean I haven't dropped a, num- a number of nuggets already? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just wondering if you've got more gold in your back pocket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, um, don't you know when you go into a, a, a company, don't don't a bit of humbleness and a bit of respect for those that are there. Mm. That, that's always mm. helped me along the lines pretty well. So you know, when you get there, take the time to listen. Take the time to respect the people that have been there before you. Take the time to learn. You know, Don't make any rash decisions mm. um, and use the experience and the, and the knowledge that, that people have that have been there for more time than you have. It, it makes for your journey a lot smoother. It makes your transition a lot easier. And uh, it, it helps you settle in with your team a lot quicker as well. You know, I've seen others go in, bull in a china gate, and you know, I know everything. Bull in mm. a china store. Mm. I know everything, and I'm ready to go, and I'm going to change the world right here and now, and yeah. everyone needs to listen to me. And it, 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 it kind of doesn't go all that well. Mm. You know, surprise, surprise. Great advice. Great advice, yeah. Absolutely. And um, if anyone would like to know a bit more about you or get in touch, um, what's the best way to do that? Well, it's probably LinkedIn or, um, yeah, it's probably LinkedIn, LinkedIn. Like, is probably the best best way to, to do that. You know, phone calls at three o'clock in the morning. Probably <laughs> 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 oh yeah, that's Chris. I saw him on the podcast. I'll give him a call on that one. <laughs> Fantastic. And uh, to to find out more about Zoom at Desanica and Brisker, outsource your transactional finance functions. Make sure to visit brisker.com.au. I'm Nathan Smith. Uh, For more on the leading options in telecommunications for your business, switchnode.com.au. And in light of um, today being International Podcast Day, do check out my podcast, Rough in the Diamonds, sold at all good podcast stores. (laughs) (laughs) Chris Lowndes, it has been an absolute delight. We've had a great time. Thank you so much for joining us on Books to the Boardroom. Great great to have been here. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Nathan. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Books to the Boardroom podcast. Show notes can be found at brisker.com.au slash podcast. And don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you are listening to this podcast.